Net Zero podcast is brought to you in association with ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future. And welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, a new spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for corporates to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals. You're listening to the voice of Sarah George, ED's senior reporter. Since the UK government set its 2050 net zero target, more and more businesses have been attempted to get ahead of the political curve by strengthening their carbon and energy strategies and pledging to become net zero businesses well before the 2050 deadline. As such, the ED team sees a value in speaking with these trendsetters and trailblazers that have these targets to get insight on just how much work went into getting them up and running and what they plan to do now. Net zero has undeniably become something of a buzzword in recent months. Um, it's, it's not a new concept, the concept of bringing greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by reducing or offsetting or any combination of the two whereby the maths makes sense um, has been discussed among businesses, scientists and policymakers for several years but it only became a broad global reality and buzzword after the IPCC published its landmark report on global warming in October 2018 The report provided, for the first time, details about the stark differences between the Paris Agreement's 1.5c and 2c trajectories, both in terms of human impacts and the emissions reductions needed for alignment with each of these targets. Um, Having a brief look back through the report ahead of today's podcast, some of the facts I found probably the most harrowing from this report are as follows. At 1.5c, the proportion of the global population exposed to water stress would be 50% lower than at 2c. At 2c, hundreds of millions more people would be facing food scarcity than at 1.5c, most of them in developing or low-income nations. And insects, which are vital for the pollination of crops and plants, and therefore vital to us being able to eat, are almost twice as likely to lose their habitat at two degrees compared to one and a half degrees and to keep to one and a half degrees the report concluded global emissions would need to reach net zero by 2050 at the very latest on a global scale meaning that some businesses and nations will need to go further and faster in order to realize this so now that we're all feeling nice and depressed um i thought i'd talk you through how these new episodes will work Our usual Sustainable Business Covered podcasts are an hour long, whereas these Net Zero Business podcasts will be a little bit shorter. They'll feature one in-depth interview with a business or organisation that has committed to a Net Zero strategy recently. And if we have time, we'll then be able to round up a few notable Net Zero trends that will strengthen the business case for setting a Net Zero target and supporting roadmap. So without further ado, our first in-depth interview for this series is with the National Trust, which last month sent a 2013 net zero target to mark its 125th anniversary. 
The charity's strategy for meeting that new target is centred around accelerating its reforestation and forest conservation work and its work to install on-site renewable generation across its UK-wide estate. On natural solutions, it binds the National Trust to planting 20 million trees, which it says is enough to cover an area one and a half times as big as Manchester. The strategy also includes measures to improve energy efficiency and a commitment to ensure that full supply chain emissions are measured for the first time that they may be mapped and reduced. National Trust's Head of Environmental Practices, Lizzie Carlyle, has kindly talked us through the strategy in a bit more depth and explained how it will help to drive carbon reductions beyond the charity's operations as well. So without further ado, over to Lizzie. So to hear more about the strategy, I am at the launch of it in London with Lizzie Carlyle, who heads up the charity's environmental practices. Good morning, Lizzie. How are you doing? Good morning. Yes, very nice to be here. Such an exciting day. That was definitely palpable up in the speech there. So just to paint the picture, I'm sat on the ground floor of London's Barbican Centre, but we have just been up in the greenhouse in the conservatory, which is, I'm told, the largest greenhouse um, in the capital so if you're looking for something to to do or somewhere to unwind maybe maybe pop along there but um, I'm not here to promote the Barbican Centre um, I'm here to learn more about this net zero strategy which has been set for 2030 as we mentioned 20 years ahead of the national target um, and I know that it hasn't just come out of the blue for you guys you've been working on carbon reduction um, for, for quite some time Lizzie so could you tell us a bit more about how the strategy was developed um, and how it b builds on the work National Trust have already been doing in carbon reduction? Yes well we've been um, we've been noticing the effects of climate change at our places uh, for a long time now we've seen uh, the effects of flooding, we've seen the effects of uh, drying and cracking in clays, we've seen the effects of insect infestations, diseases, and increasingly we're seeing the effects of climate change on our people. So we've had properties over the last um, couple of summers that have had to close because we can't operate them in the kind of high temperatures that we're experiencing. So climate change impacts is something that we've been really aware of for, um, for decades, uh, really. And we, uh, we've recognised for a number of years that this is a really significant threat to our cause to look after these special places. So um, uh, back in 2009, we introduced uh, what was then really a quite an ambitious energy strategy, uh, which was very deliberately at the time targeted on kilowatt hours because we really wanted to get rid of wastage in our energy usage and to grow our renewables portfolio. So we're coming to the end of that strategy now. Uh, we've had some really good success. Uh, I think the, the latest figures are that about 30% of our energy is coming from our own renewable uh, sources obviously all our electricity is is bought on a green tariff um, uh, and we've got plans up until 21 to just try and nudge that up to close to 50 percent and we've managed uh, a reduction in our absolute energy use despite the fact that our membership has now grown uh, very fast and very far we're close to six million members and the number of visits importantly to our places has also um, grown so our, our business has really grown but we've still managed to achieve an energy reduction mm -hmm. but that was uh, focused on our in-hand heat and power and we uh, are an organization with a really diverse 
portfolio of assets and activities and we really wanted a way to try and minimise uh, the environmental footprint and particularly the carbon footprint given the climate crisis across our whole um, portfolio of activities. And could you give us like a snapshot of, of that portfolio? I think it, it was mentioned that there's more than 500 properties but so much more as well. Yes, yes, we have um, we have about 500 pay-for-entry properties but we also have uh, well we, we don't even know the exact figure but probably around 20,000 buildings uh, we look after 250,000 hectares of land um, uh, and within that we own uh, a lot of domestic uh, properties we have a number of villages and something like 31 pubs within our portfolio so uh, you know, you name it, we've probably got at least one or more of them. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and then we've talked a bit there about how the National Trust plans to meet this commitment in terms of energy efficiency and renewable um, energy generation and supply. Um, but from the event this morning and from just reading through the plans, it seems that um, a big part of meeting this commitment is around nature-based solutions as, as well. Would you mind expanding on that? Yeah. So um, we're very fortunate in the Trust that we do have um, 250,000 hectares of land uh, which we hold on behalf of the nation. So we have to think really carefully about what public benefit that land should be delivering. And I mean, it's become increasingly clear to us that the, there is a, a twin crisis, both in, uh, in nature and biodiversity and around climate. Um, but happily for us, the solutions uh, appear to align really nicely so that we know that our solutions to create habitats, particularly woodland, uh, are really important in terms of carbon sequestration um, and, and getting carbon out of the atmosphere uh, into those uh, soils and, and vegetation. Uh, equally, that land is also emitting carbon. Right. Uh, we have a, a, a large number of farm tenants um, and we have included within our carbon inventory the emissions from that farming activity so we also need to find ways to drive down emissions through that agricultural activity as well as increase the sequestration figures. Mm -hmm. Fantastic and would you mind clarifying on on that I mean I know you guys are working with carbon intelligence who are known for looking at all parts of the emissions footprint, including the really, really hard to address scope three um, yep. sub parts. But are there any parts of you guys' footprint that are ex- excluded at the moment and that might take longer to measure and therefore act on? Yeah, so we um, we uh, did a pretty intense scrutiny of how we should set our emissions boundary. Uh, we wanted to make our carbon target as meaningful and as authentic as possible, and that definitely meant including scope three. So uh, within our um, emissions inventory and within our target, uh, we have included those wider land use uh, emissions and sequestration, those things known as outside of scopes in the greenhouse gas protocol. But within scope three, we've included our investment portfolio, we've included supply chain, we've included uh, the energy used by our tenants in our letter state, um, and we've included business travel within that. 
The one area where uh, we have got emissions associated with our activity which we haven't included is around visitor travel. And there's some good reasons for doing that. I mean, first of all, uh, the data around uh, the emissions from our visitors at the moment is really poor. So uh, we kind of know where our visitors live and we obviously know how many visitors have arrived at a place. But what we don't know is uh, how they've got to us, whether their journey has involved um, a, a journey that's just about coming to visit us or whether it's part of their week in Cornwall on holiday and therefore how much of those uh, journey emissions do we um, assign to our own footprint or not. So that was one reason for leaving them out was that difficulty in, in really getting anything that looks vaguely like an accurate figure. Um, and the second reason is um, I think you know the we know that there is a shift being undertaken at the moment to low emission vehicles and we really welcome that and that is going to be really helpful for us but that's a societal shift and I think it's one that we as the trust felt we couldn't take responsibility for. So we've left it out but that's not to say that we're not um, caring about those emissions. We, we have actually um, put a figure against them. I think it's, you know, uh, as I've said, it's, there's a very low confidence around that figure, but we've got it. Um, but what we want to do is put in place actions to tackle this to travel, and that's what we are doing. Great. And I think it was mentioned during the launch, um, for those listening and that might not have been there, that the largest sources of emissions for the National Trust are directly on the estate through its financial activities and through its supply chain in the first instance. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so our, our investment portfolio um, uh, has a large emissions um, footprint currently, um, but we're really excited. We've already announced our disinvestment from fossil fuel um, fossil fuels but we are um, actively now working with our uh, investment partners on looking at our entire portfolio and we will be picking funds with low carbon footprint so um, uh, over the period 2030 we've, we're really um, optimistic and ambitious about what we can achieve in terms of emission reductions in that part of our inventory. Um, on our supply chain, uh, again, um, it's, it's part of our move to have a more responsible um, sourcing approach anyway, but we will certainly be including carbon emissions as one of the factors we look at when we're buying in goods and services. Great. And then I wanted to come back to a bit more of the nitty gritty of the development of the strategy now that we know what it actually in, entails. So I wanted to ask you how you guys came up with the 2030 date and a bit more about how long it took to develop this strategy and how it, how it was developed, because there will be people that are listening that are grappling with, with those questions themselves in their own organisations. Yeah, so um, we... We came up with the date 2030 because once we'd done the inventory and uh, looked at the plans that we already had in place and the further plans that we had around woodland expansion, around renewable energy, around our investment portfolio and, and modelled what the impact of those plans would be, um, we reckoned 2030 was the, the right point at which we would be crossing that that zero line. I mean, that's not to say that there isn't large areas of uncertainty within uh, both the inventory and within what our 
planned activities will deliver. And I think if you took woodland expansion as an example of that, um, you know, there's great uncertainty about how quickly uh, trees will sequester carbon and how quickly they will establish. There are so many factors involved that we are talking about indicative uh, figures there, but it's enough to be able to say with some certainty that we, we know this is the right thing to do and that we know we need to do it as quickly as we possibly can because this is a, a, an urgent crisis that we need to address. We've been working with uh, Carbon Intelligence for a number of years now um, on our inc- improving our energy data and the way that we report that to our, our managers. And so uh, they were natural uh, partners for us to work with in terms of um, looking wider than just our, our energy use. Um, so we asked Carbon Intelligence back in the summer of 2019 if they could formally Uh, calculate our carbon inventory. That meant going to uh, a large number of stakeholders within National Trust trying to get data out of them. Uh, Some data is better than, uh, some areas of data is better than others, Um, uh, but carbon intelligence have been been fantastic in taking that raw data and uh, using greenhouse gas protocol methodology to translate that into carbon uh, equivalent emissions data so uh, we've got there over six months in terms of getting to our initial baseline mm-hmm. um, but I, I mean this is a work in progress and I think you know over the 10 year period to 2030 we will be improving that data all the time and that that's within our plans. And something for me finally that really stuck out about the pl- these plans are the people and public focused aspect of of this this is it doesn't look just like a legal compliance strategy or a cost saving strategy this is also something that will benefit as we can see nature but also people um, as as well and I noted that a lot of the nature restoration activities which will contribute to this plan also contribute to a new communications and events portfolio for National Trust also would you mind giving some detail on that too yeah so I think um, everyone in the National Trust is hugely excited about um, Hillary our Director General's um, real push on connecting people with nature and the environment Um, And, uh, you know, we have 6 million members. Uh, Last year, I think we had close to 29 million visits to our places. We've got tremendous reach. And so part of our climate change strategy is about reaching out to those people that we're coming into contact with, showing them what climate change impacts look like and helping them to understand how the climate and nature is changing. hopefully uh, encouraging them to support us in the actions that we're taking in response to that, so the reduction in our carbon emissions, um, and inspiring them to take action themselves. So we're really hoping that on the back of telling the stories of what we're experiencing, what we're doing at our places, people will feel inspired to, to go and take, take action and reconnect with, with nature and the environment. I think that's really interesting to hear because obviously as was stated in the IPCC report that getting to net zero has to be global, it has to involve everyone and that changes need to be made in all parts of society. So it's really interesting to see a strategy that um, focuses so much on that collaboration with the general public. Yes, absolutely. I mean, 
you know, the National Trust can't do it ourselves, but we can use our influence, I think. Um, and, and we're reaching out to government and other partners as well to really try and make sure that we've got the right climate change policies in place that makes it easier for all of us to achieve uh, the sort of emission reductions that we need to, to do. Great. I think there's no better place to end on than a note of collaboration. So thank you so much, Lizzie, for your time. Thank you very much. So thank you once again to Lizzie Carlyle from the National Trust there and Edie will be keeping on top of their target to reach net zero emissions by 2030. Of course, the National Trust hasn't been the only organisation looking at the impact of reaching net zero emissions, and with that in mind, it's a good time for our net zero news in brief. Over the past month, as with every month since the IPCC report came out, there have been some big developments in the net zero conversation, so I'm going to quickly pull out the top three stories. Starting on a global basis, the ECIU has its latest analysis, um, analysis out and it reveals that 49% of the world's annual GDP is now covered by nations, regions and cities that have either already legislated for a net zero emissions target at or before 2050 or are planning to do so. Breaking that down a bit into a national and business level one of the biggest announcements that i've seen is that fifa has promised that the 2022 world cup in qatar will be carbon neutral the strategy is a bit lacking at the moment though and given that fifa has already promised two or three carbon neutral uh, world cups to date and ultimately failed to deliver on any of them this is one that i think there will be many critical eyes on over the next two years the strategy binds FIFA to reaching carbon neutrality before the tournament kicks off and it looks at construction and operations at the event venues in the first instance. Here in the UK we've had two pretty ambitious net zero targets set by businesses this week. Um, so facilities management giant MITI or MITI, depending on your pronunciation, it's a scone scone kind of deal, has set a net zero carbon target for 2025. Because 90% of its carbon footprint in 2018 was down to transport, its strategy for getting there focuses really heavily on avoiding travel altogether by investing in video conferencing and teleconferencing and electrifying the whole of its fleet. The other big UK business announcement this week is from Sir Robert McAlpine, which has pledged to reach net zero emissions within the next five years. As usual, details of all of these stories can be found on ed.net. But for now, we're just about out of time for the podcast. I'd like to say a big thank you all for joining me on our first Net Zero Business podcast. And if you've been listening to this and you feel inspired and your organisation would like to send us a Net Zero story, please email newsdesk at favhouse.com. But until next time, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.